Um, if you have your Bibles and you want to open with me, open to Matthew chapter 5. We're in the, uh, the New Testament, and this is the section of Scripture known as the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're in a series this summer called You Asked For It, and it's based on questions that were submitted um, over the last few months, just, hey, what does the Bible say about, and then you fill in the blank. And so we've had some great questions. Some of them are relational in nature, some doctrinal, some financial um, some a little controversial and some almost kind of contradictory. It's like just saying, hey, I know the Bible says this, but over here it says this, what gifts? Um, and so we want to just take the next few weeks and walk through some of those. Um, and the first week we looked at the Trinity. Uh, the question was, is, is God and Jesus the same person? So we kind of unpacked that and talked about the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And two weeks ago, we talked about debt. What does the Bible say about debt? Being in it, getting out, and how it affects relationships like with others and with God. And so there have been some fun um, answers or, or questions to answer. Today's is one of those questions that it's like, I know it says over here one thing, but in another part of Scripture, it says something totally different. So here's the question. How do we reconcile the vengeful eye for an eye God of the Old Testament with the peace-loving, turn-the-other-cheek God of the New Testament? That's a great question. Um, when you read the scripture and you kind of dig a little, it's an easy one to answer, but it is a great question. So how do we reconcile? How do we bring in harmony this idea that in the Old Testament, God is the vengeful eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth God, and over the New Testament, he's like, hey, love each other, peace, um, you know, turn the other cheek, and it looks as though there's just this incompatibility in Scripture. Um, and so I want to do two things before we read the passage in Matthew. I want to pray, because I think prayer is very important for us as we get ready to look into God's Word. Um, and then I want to give you a very important rule, I believe, uh, when you come to a situation like this in Scripture, when there's a contradiction and we're tempted to think maybe God has changed or he's changed his mind about something, all right? So would you pray with me? Father, today we come before you. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your house and just worshiping you and just to celebrate and worship alongside of Trent and Shelley. Thank you for their ministry. Lord, for being willing to just travel the country, uh, ministering in churches. Um, I just I, I admire that and I thank you for them sharing with us today. I pray that as we open up your word and as we look into your word, that you would give us clarity, uh, that you give us understanding, that you would help us to uh, see not as we want to see, but what you show to us uh, in the scriptures, and that that would impact us in a way where we can go out and just have the right information uh, and live our lives accordingly. So, Lord, I humble myself before you now, and I realize that, uh, Lord, without you, I can't do anything. Uh, so I, I really need you today. I pray that you would just speak through me and I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so one rule uh, that I believe is extremely important, uh, I learned this a long time ago, when you feel like you run into a contradiction in Scripture, um, you know, God says something over here, and then in the New Testament, he says something totally different, so um, you were tempted to see a contradiction, or maybe you say that God has changed his mind, or, uh, you know, the, the Scriptures are not, or they're, they're errant, there's issues in the Scriptures, and we can't trust it, it's not reliable, um, and so there's this one very important thing that we all need to know, and I want you to, to say this word with me, it's immutable. All right, let's do that again. This is nine o'clock, I realize we're tired, but immutable. Okay, so when you consider the attributes of God, who is God, what, what is God? There's some of his attributes that he shares with his creation. They call them the communicable attributes. God is love, we have the ability to love, right? Um, that's the communicable. That means he shares those attributes with his creation. And then there are these non-communicable attributes of God. 
God is omniscient. It means he knows all things. How many of you know we don't know everything? So this is something he doesn't share with creation. Um, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. We're not everywhere all the time. He doesn't share that attribute with us. Another one of those that makes all of this, it's like the key to all of scripture, is this word immutable. Immutable means um, unable to change. You can't change. He can't change. And also, it means he doesn't change over time. So some might say, well, I know back in the Jewish days, God was this way, but in our culture today, he's kind of lightened up a little bit. He's cool. Uh, And so God has probably changed and he's relaxed his standards a little bit. The reality is God does not change. And there's several scriptures in the Old Testament that tell us that, but I'm gonna give you three very briefly. Psalm 33, one says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Say forever. Forever. Whatever that movie was. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. It never changes. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord God, I do not change. Therefore, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. So there again, I am the Lord God, I do not change. James chapter one, verse 17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If that sounds familiar, there is no shadow of turning with thee, Right? Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. You know the song, right? So in the Old Testament, it's very clear. God says, I don't change. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you come across a situation in Scripture when there's a contradiction, we need to be careful to not assume uh, that it has changed, but we need to realize that we're dealing with a God who cannot, nor does he change over time. And that's encouraging news for you and me today, amen? Let me tell you why that's encouraging news today. Because if God changed, he might change his mind about you and me. I mean, I know I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, but I've been watching the way you've been living lately, and I think I'm gonna just kind of take some of that back. If he changed, we'd be toast. But God does not change, and that is good news, Amen? And so, um, Matthew chapter five, Jesus is teaching, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, There's a lot of great passages here. But in chapter five, verse 38, he references this Old Testament ideal, uh, idea of the eye for an eye. Um, And then he has something to say about that. That's where we get that contradiction at. Um, So it says in chapter five, verse 38, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow Verse 43, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So this eye for an eye says, you've heard it said that the punishment must match the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Where does this come from? Uh, There are only three places in the Old Testament that you'll find those words, a variation of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, bone for bone. I mean, it's just basically saying that the punishment needs to match the crime. Um, And so I'm going to very briefly give those to you. Uh, One of them is in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. Now, if you know what's going on in Exodus, you know that's when God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were in slavery. 
Um, and there's a huge nation of Israel coming out of slavery. And, and they, they leave Egypt, and they're working the way to the promised land. They've not yet sent out the 12 spies, so they've not disobeyed yet. They're going to their new land that God has promised to give them. And on the way, they stop at this place called Mount Sinai. And it's like God's saying, hold up, before we go forward, there's some things we need to get straight. There's some things I need to teach you on how to live when you get into this new uh, land that I'm going to give to you. And so backing up to verse, or chapter 18, there's this really interesting story about a man named Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And so what was going on was Moses was, he was kind of like playing the, the single judge for the whole nation of Israel. And if somebody had a problem, they would bring it to Moses, and he was just all day long hearing cases and, and making rulings on those cases. And Jethro shows up and says, hey, Moses, what you're doing is not good. It's not healthy for you. And so his advice was for Moses to find capable men um, who could be over certain groups of people, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them decide on all these smaller cases, but leave the big ones for Moses. So it, it greatly reduced his workload. That's in chapter 18. Chapter 20, we have the law given on Mount Sinai, you know, the thou shalt nots. So um, chapter 21, uh, we have the first reference of this, uh, this phrase, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, let me get over there because I want to read it. Um, Exodus chapter 20, um, 23, I think I said 21, let me find it. No, it's 21. So in 21... <clears throat> Uh, the pericope on this section of scripture says cases for personal injury. Um, and, and so let me go to that verse. It says, um, now suppose two men are fighting and in the process they accidentally strike a pregnant woman. So she gives birth prematurely. If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation the woman's husband demands and the judges approve, key word, but if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. And so there's the first reference. It's again in uh, Leviticus chapter 24 and 20. Um, he gives an example of a just punishment. That is what is fair punishment. Um, and he says... Um, they brought, one day this uh, Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and, and got into a fight with an Israelite man. And during the fight, it says, the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. Again, key, key thing there. And down in verse 19, it says, anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted, a fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. So that's the second reference. And the last and final one is in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Again, the pericope is on justice. And it says in chapter, verse 16, verse 17, it says, I'll back up to 16. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and the judges in office at the time. In other words, that's key. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, verse 19, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person in this way. You will purge such evil from among you 
then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such evil things. You must show no pity for the guilty. You, your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So you have these three references of this eye for an eye. So we're saying, hey, God in the Old Testament is this vengeful eye for an eye God. And there's three passages of scriptures that kind of um, support that idea. But is it what it's talking about? Is, I, I think, the question that we have to ask. Um, so we have this eye for an eye attitude in the Old Testament, yet I want to read one more Old Testament passage uh, that I believe is very important because it's also could be a contradiction if you don't uh, read it in context, uh, but it's in Leviticus chapter 19. It says, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty of, of, for their sin. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So on the one hand, we have this God saying, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, the, the punishment must match the crime. And yet in the Old Testament, he says, hey, don't retaliate, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what we need to understand in the Old Testament, because <clears throat> this is key to kind of reconciling the two, is the Old Testament is speaking of a judicial system, a civil justice system. Uh, think about it for a moment. The children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They're slaves. And if they go into a new country with no rules, no laws, no regulations, it's going to be anarchy. It's going to be lawlessness. And so God and his sovereignty says, all right, before they go there, let me set up a judicial system, if you will. And that's what this reflects. In fact, all three of those Old Testament passages of Scripture reference going to someone, i.e. a judge, an elder, Moses, the leaders, and then they make the ruling and then they carry out the sentence. On some cases, they would allow the offended party to enact the, the, not the judgment, but the punishment to the offender. All right, make sense so far? All right, good. Three of you are with me. That's awesome. It's better than two weeks ago. So, uh, so in the Old Testament, you have this idea of, of a vengeful eye for an eye God, but it's not a personal thing. He's not saying that for us on a personal level. I used to, all right, confession time. I uh, have had for years this fantasy um, being a pastor, sometimes you hear stories that just break your heart. You hear somebody that gets abused um, in, in the community and maybe some dudes jump another dude and you're like, that's just not fair and it needs to be made right. Or you hear a story, a heartbreaking story of a lady that says, hey, my, my husband's been beating on me and you can't talk about that stuff. And you're just like, you're inside, you're furious. And so my, my fantasy is this. I've always thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could somehow secretly at night slip out of my house, put on a mask, you know, like, Batman or whoever, and just go beat the snot out of somebody. You know what I mean? It helps preachers work off stress. That's what I'm saying. But it, amen, thank you. See, Jim understands. So I've had this fantasy for years of just like, man, I really wish that I could go out and just help kind of balance the scales, so to speak, you know, to be her defender or their defender and just do that. And then come to church on Sunday morning with bloody knuckles and say, God loves you. Is it right? No, it's not, it's not healthy, right? But on a funny note, I found a movie based on a true story about a pastor that did just that. 
Um, and if you want to watch it, it's called The Masked Saint. It's actually a pretty cute movie. Preacher sneaks out and he's beating up the bad guys. I'm like, Rachel, that right there, that's what I'm talking about. I want to do that. Vengeance. I want to, I want to bring some revenge on people that are unfair to other people. And yet we're not given that permission in the Old Testament so that eye for an eye um, idea that we read about in the Old Testament was never intended to be on a personal level. You stole my cow, I'm gonna come over and I'm gonna steal your cow. Matter of fact, I'm gonna steal all your cows because I feel like you wronged me and that's not always gonna be made right. And so the reason God gave these rules, these laws, there was two reasons. Number one was as a deterrent. So we just read in that Deuteronomy passage, this way others will see and it'll basically deter them from doing the same thing. It'll purge the evil from the community. So if there's some sort of a capital punishment or you know, some sort of a, a civil justice system that says, hey, you did this wrong, this is the punishment for that crime, and, and if they would do that, then it might keep other people from wanting to do the same thing, you know, like licking ice cream out of a refrigerator and putting it back in in a store. Are you with me? That's just sick, isn't it? And, and I heard the other day what they're talking about, the potential of, of the sentences for this young lady if they catch her, and in my heart I'm thinking, that seems a little excessive. But at the same time, we don't want people doing that, right? So anyways, to deter other people from committing the same offense, and again, no laws, it's anarchy, lawlessness. Uh, And so he gave them those for that reason, and it was a civil government uh, that God set up for the children of Israel, how they were to handle those certain situations. And the second reason, and this is a big one, and this is the reason that we shouldn't take matters into our own hands now, or um, let's, what do we say, uh, take the law into our own hands? Uh, is because the way I handle something in retaliation and the way you handle something in retaliation may be different. You may be more merciful. I may not know mercy. And so, you know, you you break my arm and I may put you in the ground or whatever. Uh, In fact, it happened in the Old Testament. uh, There's this man named Lamech. He was the great, great, great grandson of of, uh, Cain. You remember Cain killed his brother Abel? Um, and, And God was gonna kicked him out, and he said, this punishment's too hard. If somebody sees me, they're gonna kill me. Uh, and God says, I'll tell you what, no one's gonna touch. He marked him, and he said, um, whoever tries to kill you, said their, their judgment will be seven times more powerful. And Lamech, later, kind of an arrogant statement. He's telling his wives, he said, hey, listen, I killed a man because he, he wounded me, so the, the punishment didn't fit the crime. A man punished or hurt Lamech, and he says, I, I killed him. And then he says, if somebody tries to retaliate on me, if Cain is avenged seven times, it'll be 77 times for me. And so he's kind of arrogant saying, you know, if somebody tries to do something to me, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna get mad and get even, I'm gonna get mad and get ahead, right? And so in our culture today, and think about it, with no law, who's to say what's fair, what's equitable when it comes to delving out punishment for a crime. So if it's my family and you've wronged me, then I might be a little more aggressive in that. And so we need some sort of a a rule or some, some perimeters to work inside to know what is allowed and what is not allowed. And so God gives the children of Israel these and he says, don't retaliate on a personal level, the judge, there, there is a system in which it happens and it is eye for an eye. And that was not meant to be a negative, but it was a limit thing. So in other words, if they take your eye, you can't take their arm and their eye. You know, it's eye for an eye. If they wound you, you can't kill them. It's a wound for a wound. Does that make sense? So he's limiting what they can do um, on this retaliation. In fact, it's called the law of retaliation, lex talionis. Um, and it goes back 
even before Moses got the law um, in 1440 BC, there was a Babylonian king that also had a system like that. Um, they called it the, co- the Code of Hammurabi. It's an interesting read. In fact, I think in 1901, they discovered some of those documents, and they were, it's an elaborate judicial system that was given to a society then. So God and his sovereignty gives that to his people for those two reasons, as a deterrent and for equality or fairness to make sure that the punishment wasn't excessive. So are you with me so far? So this is Old Testament, right? And, and if, we're not, if we don't know that, and we don't know that's a civil justice system, we might say, hey, in the Old Testament, it was cool because I could just really hammer somebody if they wronged me, um, and that would be a wrong interpretation of that scripture. It wasn't never intended to be on a personal level. It was a judicial uh, level. So New Testament, um, Jesus comes along, and by the time Jesus um, is teaching this Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of time that's passed and the, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees have kind of manipulated the original intent of the law and they've now made it to be more on a personal level. So they've taken it out of the judicial system and now they're using it to justify how they retaliate to people who might offend them. And so Jesus comes up and he says, you've heard the law that says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Jesus has not doing away with the old law. In fact, earlier he said, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill it. He came to clarify what it originally meant in the first place, amen? So Jesus teaches what was the true intent all along. So in the Old Testament, when he said the eye for eye, that's not on a personal level because in Leviticus, that passage I read, it says do not seek revenge. He's always been that way. Old Testament and New Testament, don't seek revenge, I will avenge, says the Lord. In fact, we talked about this back in, in March in our series on Joseph you know, when he was, um, had the opportunity to get his brothers back for what they did to him. So uh, Matthew, the passage comes up and Jesus says, I tell you that you should not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. I've always been kind of offended at this idea. Um, if you consider, that, wait, wait, God, you're telling me that if somebody comes up and just cococks me in the face, then I'm supposed to turn and let them take another shot. Um, it's what it says, but, but, but just consider this for a moment. I guess it could be physical, um, but to slap someone on the cheek was a huge insult back in the day. Uh, if someone backhanded you across the cheek, it was, it was not necessarily an, an assault. It was, but it was more of an insult, a humiliating effect that they would do to somebody just to make you look like an idiot in front of people. And he said, don't, don't get engaged in, you know, if somebody humiliates you or insults you, don't, don't wage war with that. Turn the other cheek, just let it go by, right? And so he's saying, when someone slaps you on the cheek, in fact, we still use that phrase today, don't we? If somebody wrongs us, have you not ever heard somebody say, I just feel like it's a slap to the face? We're not talking literal. We're talking hyperbole. Jesus used a lot of that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, these examples to prove a point. So, Turn the other cheek is he's talking on a personal level now to us. He says, I want you as followers of mine to live your life in such a way that you're, you're willing to give up your rights. And if someone comes up and they offend you, they insult you, you know, just be willing to turn the other cheek. I mean, Jesus did it. When they were accusing him, it said he was silent before his shearers. The apostle Paul did it whenever they were messing with him. He was willing to give up all of his rights so that the gospel could advance. And so um, Jesus is basically saying on a personal level, hey, don't seek revenge. 
Be willing to overlook an offense. Be willing to um, let that go and don't retaliate. Um, it's also in Luke chapter six, uh, verses 27 through 36. But just in case we think that, oh, this is a New Testament versus an Old Testament, and in the New Testament, that's all we see is turning of the cheek, but what if I told you that that phrase was also in the Old Testament? Because it is. There's this little book called Lamentations. It's five chapters long. Um, and listen to what it says. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. Do you believe that? The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Uh, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Um, Justin's dad learned this from him, from Wyatt Carpenter years ago. Um, he says, you know, God is my defense. And I love that attitude because what he was saying is, I'm not gonna get engaged in you know, a yelling match, an insult match, but I'm just gonna let God be my defender. And that's a great attitude for us to have. Um, he says, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord, and it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Listen to this, let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. There's the Old Testament. So you see it in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So you ask the question, how do we reconcile? How do we make sense of, it looks like God's changed. Church, he hasn't changed and he never will change. He's the same, amen? Yesterday, today, and forever. So God does not change. So when it comes to things like this in scripture that we look at, we need to always approach scripture with it. If it feels like it's wrong, there's a good chance I got it wrong and I need to go back to studying the scriptures and try to find an understanding of what God is telling us. So in conclusion, let me tell you um, just in a nutshell what this is. And how many of you would agree with this? God is love. And we talk about his attributes. This is his character. Who is God? He is love. Before everything else, before the creation of the heavens and the earth, God was love, and he always will be love. Always. God is love. Old Testament, New Testament. Both Testaments command people to love their neighbors, even their outsiders. So it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Love your neighbor. I am the Lord. Both Testaments command people to do only good and not seek vengeance, but to allow the law to punish those who commit crimes. Both Testaments do that. So the Old Testament concept of an eye for an eye applied only to punishment of serious crimes like assault, um, and in this case, you know, a, a false uh, witness, somebody was trying to get somebody in trouble and he said their punishment should match whatever it was they were trying to get done to them. Um, and so it's usually more serious crimes and offenses. And think of it like our judicial system today. And aren't you glad, even though we may not agree with all of them, that we are a nation of laws? Because if we weren't a nation of laws, we would be lawless and uh, it would be a lot of anarchy on the streets and every man would do according to what he felt like was right and if you're wronged, then you're just going to, I mean, there's nobody to tell you which one, how we should respond. And so we have these laws in place um, that they go through the system and we may not agree with how all that works out all the time, but it's the way God set it up. In fact, in Romans 13, he said, God's given us the governing authorities for our good and it's their role, it's their job um, to punish the offenders. So the Old Testament concept of an eye for an eye uh, only applied to serious injuries or crimes, um, and it was never not carried out. It was not carried out by individuals, but only through the judicial system. Does that make sense?
So how do we reconcile it? To me, it's easy because we're not talking about the, the same thing. It's, it's apples and oranges. It's like the eye for an eye God was speaking not to people, but he was speaking to a, a nation and he's setting up their, their system of laws, their civil justice system. Um, and you think about a set of balances, you know, the, the, the scales. And it was like making sure that what was done um, to the offender matched the crime that they committed. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the punishment must match the crime. And God set that up for the governing authorities, not for individuals to carry out. For us, we've always been told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. We've always been told to not seek revenge, but to seek peace and pursue that. Amen? Now, let me tell you what this passage doesn't say real quick, because I feel like I need to throw this in. For years, there have been people that read the turn the other cheek passage, and they think that that means that we're supposed to be passive. Uh, that we're supposed to stand by idly and let evil prevail. And, and to that I would say, if, um, if, if you consider um, slavery back in our country's history, all those people that fought to liberate slaves would have been in the wrong if you take that approach of pacifism. Um, and, and you think about Hitler and you think about all the allies that went in to fight Nazi um, Hitler, all those people would have been wrong if we were supposed to be passive there. I think there is a time to stand against evil. And I think Jesus proved that when he went into the temple courts and made a whip and he started whipping people out of there and turning tables over and saying, this is a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. So I think there's a time for us to stand against evil. And I'm just gonna tell you on a personal level, um, I know that there are things that might be happening to me or could happen to me. And on those personal things, I, I should be able to get to the point where I say, you know what? It's no big deal. First Corinthians says, why not just be wronged? I don't need to go to court. I don't need to fight it legally. You know what, just do what you're gonna do. Here's the other cheek, by the, by the way, just you know, keep on talking. But I'm gonna protect my family, amen? I'm out in public and somebody tries to do harm to one of my kids or my wife, um, I will defend them with everything that I got, preacher and all. Front page of the news, I don't care, right? I'll be smiling. I just, I did my job, I'm a dad, right? So I'm not saying that it's, it's passivism, uh, but I'm saying to understand what scripture says, how do we reconcile the two? Well, one of them was judicial, and the other one's individual. I hope that helps answer uh, the question, whoever it is that asked it, um, because that is, uh, as you study the scriptures out, that's where it leads us at. And that's the whole point of the series is your questions, his answers, amen? So thank you for submitting that. It was kind of a fun one today. Um, may not be practical in your life right now, um, but it's always cool to learn something else in scripture um, and to maybe have a little bit of clarity when we run into these contradictions in his word. So, is everybody good? You've got somebody that you want to go meet tonight or tomorrow and you know, repay them evil for evil? Hold up. Let's hold off on that. Don't say, eye for an eye. No, no, no. You got it wrong. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a loving God and loving us enough that you would give us uh, your word, not just a... Uh, just these stories, these collections of historical things, but Lord, truth and, and, and ways to govern ourselves in a society. And, and Lord, I thank you for law. I may not agree with all of them, but I thank you for uh, the fact that we are a nation that has some sense of uh, legal guidelines on how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as citizens of the United States. It's no different in your kingdom. It's no different where, where it was with your children of Israel back in the day. So Father, I pray that you would just help us to understand that when we come into areas of scripture that seem uh, to be in conflict with each other, 
Lord, that you would give us peace uh, and you just remind us of your immutability that you do not change. You never will change. We can't change it. You can't change yourself. You don't change. And help that to be our number one rule as we try to dig and learn and make sense of some of these contradictions um, and reconcile what one may be to the other. So Father, I pray that everything that was said today would have been uh, helpful uh, and helped shed some light on uh, maybe that, that question. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just give us understanding, clarity, and um, Lord, just to more importantly, be the people you've called us to be. Lord, to walk together in community with one another, loving one another, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, you said all the other laws are summed up in that one, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're all summed up in those two. If we truly love our neighbors, all this other stuff is a moot point. Um, so Father, would you give us um, understanding and wisdom today? And Lord, as we leave this place, would you give us the ability to live in a way that honors you, um, that reflects that we are your children, we are the light, the salt, um, whoever it is that we come into contact with. We love you and we thank you for this day and we ask that you be honored in it. In Jesus' name. Amen.